Hello, and welcome to The Church's Radical Reform. My name is Christopher Lamb, and this is a podcast dedicated to the Synod, the unprecedented reform movement that Pope Francis has begun in the Catholic Church. Now, one of the topics the Synod process has thrown up time and again is the role of women, with Catholics across the globe calling for greater inclusion of women in decision-making and leadership positions. This is an area I've looked at before in this podcast, but we need to go back to it. That's because Pope Francis has recently approved some historic changes to the Synod Assembly, which will meet in the Vatican in October. He's given women the right to vote in that assembly for the first time. In this episode, I speak to a woman who is already exercising leadership in the church. Christine Allen is the director of CAFOD, the Catholic humanitarian agency of the church in England and Wales, which works across the globe. It was founded by four Catholic women in 1960. Of course, women are already leading in the church, whether it's in the Amazon region, where religious sisters are in charge of communities, or head teachers in Catholic schools. I spoke to Christine about female leadership in the church, what she makes of the Synod, and how things might look in the future. Christine Allen, thank you very much for joining me uh, for this podcast interview uh, to discuss the Synod. I'm very grateful for your time. Great to have this opportunity, so thank you. Oh, it's a pleasure. Great to be here. CAFOD is a good example, I would say, of a synodal church. It's lay-led in many ways. It was founded by a group of Catholic women. Um, so I'm, I'm interested from your point of view as the director, what, what impact do you think the, the current synod process is having? What are your impressions so far? Well, I think the synod process is, is showing us the importance of conversation and encounter. And uh, at CAFOD, we we have this thing called culture with encounter, which is really important to us, which is about taking the time, listening and engaging and responding to where people are at and understanding the challenge of their circumstances, inspired very much by Pope Francis, um, to, to really take time to get to know people and not just kind of view them as projects or numbers on a, on a database. And that applies both to our partners with whom we work around the world, as well as our supporters. You know, CAFOD has a very strong relationship with its supporters. So if we view the nodal process as walking along a path together, then yes, you're absolutely right. I think CAFOD has been walking along that path for 60 odd years and, and, and is constantly inspired and motivated by the different people that we walk along that path with over time. In terms of, in terms of lessons from this process, I think it's it, it has made us reflect a little bit more. You know, we try to we are the the agency of of, of the church. So you know, what happens within the church also happens within Catholic. So we've been having some of those conversations internally. We've kind of convened our own sort of listening session with with Catholic volunteers across England and Wales, and we've also brought we've had a couple of sessions where we've brought partners involved, and um, particularly um, some women religious who are, inc- are real, the real powerhouses who, who've challenged us. And uh, yes, they've been extraordinary sessions listening to the reality uh, of, the, of those women, both in Africa and Latin America and Asia. And I think we're, we're trying to embody that ourselves in our, in our own work. Um, so that message around 
listening, engaging, and being a cultural encounter. Yes. It's a, it's a real affirmation of that. But do, do you think this synod is needed for the wider church? Um, and what, what impact do you think it's having in that aspect? I think when you're in the middle of a process, it can be quite challenging to sort of see what some of the impacts are. I think we are in a number of processes, I feel, in England and Wales, because different dioceses have approached it in slightly different ways. We haven't as yet had, you know, feedback from in a particularly accessible way from from some of the conversations. But then you've got the likes of Liverpool diocese that are that are already kind of putting quite a lot of things into practice. So I think it does it does vary. And obviously as an agency that covers all of England and Wales, we're sometimes struggling to to know quite where to put our feet uh, in relation to that. But it's a hopeful process, you think, for, your, for, for what Catholic is doing? Is it? Yes, I think so, because I think all the messages around, around the synod, listening, walking together, engaging, that, that's, that's kind of what we do. We want it to be helpful. Um, I think many, many Catholic supporters um, are active in the church, and I, don't, and I think those, th- those things are connected. I think they, people who are, you know, have a deep faith and they put that into practice through Catholic, then deepen their faith. Some people have, have said to us, actually, Cafford is our experience of church. And that's not a bad thing, in my view, you know, that, that don't they feel a place and a contribution and, and a recognition in, in through Cafford that perhaps they don't feel in their yeah. everyday parishes. And I think also the work that Cafford offers and volunteering opportunities, whether it be in schools or parishes or in the wider community, people feel a value of that and they feel valued. And I think sometimes, you know, they're the challenges that the Synod presents to the rest of the church, which is how do you articulate the roles? How do you value the contribution? How do you name that and, and express that value? It's Perhaps it's easier to do it when it's, a you know, this is, you're a school's volunteer for Cafford. You're not necessarily kind of labelled in quite the same way in a, in a parish context. But that, that's part of the, the challenge, I think, and the contribution that we're making. Now, CAFOD is working all over the world. You have partners all over the world, particularly in countries such as Africa, where it seems to me the Synod has been taken up with some enthusiasm. Um, and I'm wondering what the church in the West can learn from those places, those communities, uh, particularly when it comes to, to, to synodality. Well, you start off with a really important point there, which is about us learning. And, and you know, that, that turns on its head in some respects, the sort of historical relationship between the sort of the, the, the West or the rich North, as it were, in the global South, whereby, you know, we in the rich North, you know, we teach them, whether it be through our missionary history or our colonial history. You know, so, so that, that turning on the head of the relationship it's really important. And, and listening to the voices of those with less power is, is, is exactly what Jesus did. So, so that's a starting point, really. That said, I think it's got to be a dialogue. It can't, it's not just a replacement, not just a completely turning on its head. Because, um, you know, it, it can be very simplistic to say, well, now just because country X says it, therefore it must be right. Having that dialogue and having that engagement, I think, is really important because there are some challenges sort of in our world. So I think for us as a church, particularly in our desire to, to recognise our colonial history and our, 
and our desire to be more inclusive of, of, of communities around the world. So I think there's a real we have positivity to, to that. I think the other thing is to tell those stories. You know, as I said before, those amazing powerhouses of women religious often, um, Sister Antonia and Sister Ngozi in, in, that were part of our uh, engagement at one of our synod discussions, um, were incredibly powerful talking about their stories. And, you know, we look at places like the Democratic Republic of the Congo where Pope Francis was, um, you know, women, very often women religious, but not always are at the forefront of the, the development work that, that the church is doing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's an inspiration that we've got to listen to and learn from. And um, Bernard, our country wrecked for, for the, the DRC, you know, when the Pope came, he, he was very powerful about talking about the inspiration the Pope was giving because it was about, we want to hear your voice. We want, we want you to rise up as, as a church. Having been in DRC with Pope Francis in South Sudan, despite the, the wars, the conflict in the country, the church is really a, a sign of hope for people. And there, there seems to be more energy and dynamism in the church in those countries in some respects. Where in England and Wales, where we're seeing parishes growing, it is because uh, because of immigration, because of communities coming and joining parishes. So you know the world is in our parishes in in, in many places, and 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 where parishes are or traditional parish models are are declining, I think that that poses some interesting questions about what are the what are the models? How are we reaching out to people? And I mean, I know from my own experience of of a church. That's that's providing you know food distribution. That's providing a whole raft of kind of uh, opportunities, whether it be for mothers and toddlers or, or or people with you know dementia, to be able to kind of come together and have those sort of spaces. And and the church is behind it. I and mean, when we saw it during COVID, we saw the church being and um, such a huge sort of witness of hope providing services. And I think it's important to continue to do that. I think the challenge is how how to how to see that that's about putting the gospel into practice and it's not providing services it's about witnessing to to the love of God and the love of Jesus. Yes, and uh, Archbishop Welby told me that uh, he believes that the churches in England and Wales are doing more in terms of social action than at any time since 1945. So it's not as if the churches in uh, in in the UK are not doing huge amounts <laughs> so um they are but that are we talking about it i think that's that is really one of the the challenges for us yes and as you say showing that it is actually at the center of what of what the church's mission is all about mm. now i want to ask you about one issue that has come up time and again during these synodal dialogues and that is the role of women in the church now you are an example of a woman leading in the church I think sometimes it can be a little bit lonely, um, but but actually there's, there's quite a lot of us really. And um, I think it, I think it would be fair that there were times when it, that the way in which women's voices are not heard, the way in which women's leadership is not often kind of illustrated. I think um, you know I'd I'd be churlish to ignore. Um, sorry, I have to say that again. Um, yes, although there were quite a few of us. Um, we're not often seen, and I think I think it would have to be honest and say, you know, the church really needs to to trumpet its women's lead, the women, the leadership of women that, that this is going on. Um, and I think 
that, you know, as well as being leading, um, you know, an agency in the church, I'm also a normal parishioner. Do you know what I mean? So uh, if there is such a thing. And, and, and so I kind of see it from both sides in that respect. So uh, I'm very lucky. I'm in a, a really good parish and a very supportive parish priest. But I know an awful lot of people who are women, especially who are very able, but who don't feel that that support exists. And, and that is one of the voices. That's one of the things that came out from the synodal process very, very strongly. And I think um, as we go forward, um, I think it would be really great if, you know, the Bishops' Conference were to kind of pull together a group of uh, a little round table of women in leadership in the church and actually had a conversation with us about it because that hasn't happened so far. And I think that would be really great if that could happen. Because there have been other opportunities like the the recent School for Synodality meeting and the and some of the engagements with the Margaret Beaufort Institute that I've been on over the last couple of years that have been really important spaces. So I think that is, you know, being more intentional about about listening and learning and having that dialogue. And um, it's not just because, um, yes, I'm a woman leadership, but I've still got things to learn. You know, I still want to, I still want to hear what it's like from other peoples. It's not just a question of, of flipping everything. And um, and as as we've talked about in in CAFOD, I think there's been a real opportunity and a real attempt to try and find that that dialogue and that engagement. And just to pick up that round table idea, is that something that could be uh, almost like a synodal body, perhaps. I mean, I suppose if such things were deemed necessary, I'm, I'm just, I'm just more keen on having a com- having the conversations. Um, yeah. So, so to have a a structure whereby women can talk with the bishops' conference. Well, an opportunity. I don't think it has to be a structure. You know, no. I don't think we need to weigh ourselves down. Um, but I think it's just about creating those spaces and being intentional about creating those spaces. I also feel that, um, you know, I I know from my own le- my own leadership position that it's a tough job. You know, it's a lonely job sometimes. And I and I look at the other people in leadership, whether whether they're um, lay people, or priests, or bishops, religious, and I kind of, you know, I feel for them. You know, I feel gosh, you know. Particularly thinking about the clergy, you know, you're you're great people, but you're really bowed down by this. You know, you're you're you know, possibly even depressed. You know, well, how can we support one another in this job of leadership? And there's all sorts of different models of leadership that we can reflect onto. Yeah, so creativity and thinking about doing new things is important when it comes to greater representation of women or women more involved in decision-making, how important is that for CAFL and its partners and the work that CAFL is doing in the developing world? Uh, this proposal that the Synod is repeatedly saying there's got to be more involvement of women, how important is that for for your work? It's it's a fundamental plank to our work from right from day one, as you highlighted. We were founded by women. It took us 60 years to have a late woman director. But, you know, the, the issue for me is that it's absolutely central to us. Gender equity is is really important to us. It's about recognizing the injustices that exist in society. It's, it's recognizing that women are really vital in terms of creating an alternative, alternative structures in society and, and need to ha- need to be empowered and enabled to be able to have their voices heard. We know from some of the discussions that we've had within our 
synodal processes of, of, of women, particularly women religious, talking in, in extremely difficult situations. So, yes, on one level, their voice is not being heard, but in other situations, it's been abuse. It's been, you know, there's a way they're treated is absolutely appalling. And yet they're doing incredible work day in, day out. For us as CAFOD, women are half the world, and to ignore to ignore their contribution is just, you know, damn like that. But in the old saying, you know, the hand that rocks the cradle rocks the world, you know, and that's not just to put women in the context of being parents, but it's about recognizing that we know the reality is that you your your development work is more effective if women are part of that part of that leadership. If money goes to women, it get it gets to where it needs to get to more than if the money goes to the men. All all sorts of dynamics that are in place, and so you know, for us, having a gender equity perspective is really critical. It's also why we do so much around gender based violence. It's all you know, and a lot of that work around peace and listening and and that rectifying the imbalances that are in our world. Yeah, someone like South Sudan women are at the absolute key to bringing peace hmm. to that country uh, from the from the ground up. Absolutely. The women that are trained in building peace and creating peace from almost a household right up to the national level. Yeah. So on that point, there are proposals to allow female deacons. And we know that, say, in many countries, particularly in the Amazon region, it's also true in Africa, but in, just take the Amazon. Women are leading Catholic communities. Would having female deacons help CAFOD's work on the ground, do you think? I mean, in terms of CAFOD's work on the ground, I'm not, I'm not sure it would make a huge amount of difference. Um, I mean, women already play an incredible role in fighting injustice and supporting communities in need around the world. So um, Anything that the church can do to ins- to ensure that they have a voice and are recognised for their work, great. That's fantastic. Uh, that's we're, we're all on the same side there, and and I think um, there is something about the church recognising the role and the leadership of women. Personally, I I I'm not I'm not sure. You know, just extending the clerical model is always going to be the answer. However, um, you know. At the moment, we recognise that that clericalism and all within it that is that is tied up with gender inequality absolutely needs to be broken down a little bit and reformed. So, if that's the first step, then you know, go for it. I'm not sure I'd see it as having a great deal of impact on Catholics' work. Okay, but uh, as a way of the church giving official recognition um, ministerially to women it could help uh, you think potentially well i think in terms of giving giving an acknowledgement and a recognition of of women's role i mean women are, are holding the church up in, in in many instances already it's just not recognized in that way and i guess there is a question as to what what does that mean for the church to in confer the, that status on them and that would be that would be great on us and uh, if it's not just um, diaconate, there must be other things that, that can be done to give women those decision-making roles. Because, you know, as you say, the church uh, is being held up by women, but women are not being allowed to, to take decisions. Um, that, that's obviously something that has to be addressed. I mean, again, as I said, I think that's part of the sort of clerical 
uh, a, a kind of clericalism or a clerical approach that that says, you know, where does where are decisions made and and how? I think there is. I think it needs to be a much more intentional sort of recognition from the church about about that. Um, but I think there's something much more fundamental about recognizing the contributions that are, that are much wider and, and even recognizing um, the stuff that women do now, you know, being recognized as ministry, you know, the, we're, we're, we're active in all sorts of different ways and it's not always kind of seen fully as, as ministry or perhaps we don't feel that it's recognized and therefore there needs to be an intentionality behind that. Now, how has Pope Francis inspired your work, um, given he is behind this this sort of process, and um, you know you became Catholic director while he was Pope? How has his leadership inspired you? Well, Catholic's always been inspired and is formed by by Catholic social teaching and the body of teaching and the, the scriptural influence of that. So, uh, in many respects. Um, what Pope Francis has done is really kind of unpacked and and broken out, if you like, the, the words uh, and and our mission. So uh, it, it you know his three real really kind of critical texts: Evangelii Gaudium, Laudato Si, and Fratelli You know, talking about the healing that's necessary in the church, the healing of our relationship with the world. And our healing with our relationship with one another, those three texts, you know, is obviously a kind of key factor for Catholic and has really put it, put our mission, given real um, impetus and joy to our mission. Particularly Laudato Si, in terms of the development of the of the recognition almost of the fact that we talk about environmental crisis, we talk about social crisis of poverty, as if they're two different things. And Pope Francis says they're not; they're they're just two symptoms. Of the same of the same problem, the problem of the um, commodification of people, the abuse of the world, a lack of, of respect and, and and humility in the face of our relationship between God and all of creation, us as being part of creation, and so there's such a, a real power to that. And Laudato Si, in particular, has informed Catholic strategy, our common home, clues okay. in the text, um, in terms of how we work to not just. Uh, address development issues, but to address it in a way that does no harm and build build the planet. And um, so, yes, I mean, we can't understate really the, the the enormous and transformative influence that Pope Francis has had on us across a number of of areas, and also his his humility, the way in which he does it. It's not just a question about what's written in a book, um, but the way that it's so focused on. People and I spoke before about our culture of encounter and our commitment to culture of encounter, which is absolutely there in, in Fratelli Tutti and very strongly. And um, that that it's about us taking time to recognise that we're people, that we have a relationship, because that's what that's what Jesus did. You know, that's that message. You know, he stopped and he's I'm coming to dinner with you, Zacchaeus. You know, and that and the, and the, and the conversion happened as a result of the the fact that the. He was there for for people that took time with people to to see who they really were. They weren't just projects. They weren't numbers on a database. It's the relational aspect of that which is which is so special to Cafod. So there's a real there's a real impetus there for us. So it's helped to inspire your work and 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 to help you build on what you've already already were doing. 
Yeah. So one great example of that is when there was the Synod on the Amazon and his work with uh, and, and his meeting with indigenous leaders, you know, really, really gave us a lot of encouragement because that's what we've been doing for years. Yeah. <laughs> and yet those voices have not always been heard. So he's really helped to, to break down some of those sort of barriers about the way things have been done or who traditionally has power and who's listened to. And I hope you continue to do that with women. Yes. Situation, yeah. Um, finally, uh, we come to a question close to home in the UK, uh, regarding this government's approach to migrants and refugees. See, Pope Francis has made that welcome migrants so important. Um, but when we look at the UK policy to deport migrants to Rwanda, and I saw when I was in, in Congo, how, uh, Rwanda-backed rebels are causing huge, oh, terrible suffering on the in, in the Congo. Um, how concerned are you about this approach the UK government seems to be taking? Um, what are your, what's your reaction? Well, I think Pope Francis summed it up really well in Fratelli Tutti when he, you know, he he called on us to build bridges, not not walls. You know, he called on us to welcome. You know the stranger. I mean, he was absolutely um, straight, straight down the line about about the way in which the the migrant crisis across the world is 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 being treated. And I think this government's language is calling. I think it's dog whistle politics. I think it's debasing all of us. It's forgetting the fact that we're talking about people. We're talking about you know not statistics, but mothers and fathers and grandmothers and sons and daughters. We're talking about people who have the same hopes and dreams as you and I have. People who come to, to this country have the right to be to be treated decently um, and being treated as if they're, they're criminals straight away is absolutely is, is appalling. And we, we know that more conflict, more climate crisis, there's going to be more movements of people um, around the world. Um, and you know, lot, lots of churches are active in supporting refugees and supporting asylum seekers and you know that I, I i really do think the government's out of kilter here and and to poor people to rwanda a great deal of sense does it yeah it it does feel like the government has has lost its moral compass on this matter um <laughs> and and so a synodal church is a church that's on the side of the marginalised on the side of migrants refugees is that would that be a hope for for you from this process to to ensure that the church really is a voice for for, for justice? Well, the church has always been a voice for justice. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the the challenges. I mean, the story you know the story of Oscar Romero is a good one because you know throughout throughout its history, the church you're, you're going to find the voices of the church on both the side of the oppressed and the oppressor. The Catholic Bishops Conference did have that the the look, that really great document. Um, a couple of weeks ago on you know love the stranger calling on us you know to welcome people reminding us of, of what it's of the principles of catholic social teaching reminding us of the humanity that that is that is missing in in this government um, and that it that playing to a political gallery yeah it does reveal a certain length, a loss of of um, of what it what is right but i think the the reality of the church i think is that we have got a long tradition of being on the side of the oppressed, of speaking out, as well as being in positions of power. And I think that's what we've got to hold on to, that that is what we're about. And then 
you know, the synodal process should just magnify that and give us all more confidence to be able to do that. Well, Christine, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. In the next episode, I'll be speaking to a leading female theologian and church lawyer who's helping to organise the Synod. I will ask her whether things are really changing and what obstacles need to be overcome in order to see real reform. Please make sure you tune in for that episode. This podcast is sponsored by the Centre for Catholic Studies at the University of Durham in partnership with The Tablet. Thank you for listening.